all bananas. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that was lame. Come on. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Look at that. Amazing. Amazing when we're awake. Hey, it's good to see all your beautiful, cheery faces. And Colin's down there giving me a big smile, so I know that I'm going, I'm going well already. Praise the Lord. So it's great that you're here. Uh, before we dive in this morning, uh, just a couple of things I need to make mention of. Um, we're heading into the most important time uh, for our families in the year, which is Christmas time, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good time to come together as a family and, and uh, celebrate the joy that is the Christmas season. And uh, I just want to highlight to you something, and that is people are most likely to accept an invitation to church in the Christmas season than any other time in, in the year. They are most likely to accept your invitation to come to church in this season right now than at any other time of the year. Okay, why? Because they're open to family. They're open to, to, to what the possibilities are for the season. Even though they seem busy, even though they seem to be chasing after all the things of the world, they're more open today than they are in any other time. Okay, so what's that mean for us as the body of Christ? It means that we need to start inviting people to church, yeah? So I just want to remind us of that, that the season is now, and we've got next week uh, coming up, we've got the, the, the Christmas Eve service coming up, and, and uh, also in the middle of all of that, we've got Chris, uh, carols tonight and next Sunday. I just really want to um, honor Var um, here today. She's put her hand up and said, you know what, Steve, I'm going to, to run point on the uh, Christmas concert. So put your hands together. We're going to have a Christmas concert next Sunday afternoon, 5.30, here at Life Source Church, which means everyone needs to put on their, their best Christmas cheer, bring in all their food that they want to bring. But at the meantime, at the same thing, there's going to be a concert, so we need your, your, your talent. We need your items. We need some things in. So we're going to sort of six to eight items for the night, and we'll cap it around that number so that anyone's not feeling pressured. So I've already asked the youth to do a couple. And uh, so it means we've got six or eight slots open for the Christmas concert, okay? So if you've got a talent, you've got something you want to showcase, you want to put together a bit of a skit or something like that, grab a few of your group uh, members from your connect groups or something like that. Next Sunday is the time to showcase your talent here at Life Source Church. Amen? We're going to have a good time and uh, celebrate Christmas together as a family. And then on the following uh, Sunday, We'll have Christmas Eve service here and Natalia said, hey, why don't we put Missions Kiosk aside? We'll all bring in some finger food, put in a dollar coin or a $2 coin. Uh, that'll all go to missions and uh, we'll just have Christmas party together on the Christmas Eve as well. So thanks, Natalia, for that. Everyone got that? We've got that all on. It's in your newsletters. And uh, if you want to know more about the Christmas concert or if you want to help out, even just organizing people with food or organizing the concert, please catch up with VAR today because we've only got one week to plan that. Amen? All right. So we're in. So uh, we're now going to get into the second week of our message of uh, the ghost of Christmas past. And we'll just lead in with this so you know I'm starting. So I hear Pastor Rodney did a fantastic job last week on speaking about overcoming offences, yeah? I hear the Holy Spirit did some amazing work in people's lives and just helped people overcome some of those things in their life. And, and I just want to keep that in your mindset right now because um, sometimes they, they, they can sneak back in. Those offences can sneak back in and we've just got to be on our guard and we just say, no, I've actually dealt with that. I've put that aside. God set me free from that. Amen. And uh, just remind ourselves of that. I need a little bit of grace today. Um, I don't know where this is going to go in the sense of even my emotions. So God uh, says to me this morning that in my weakness, he is strong. Amen. But I also need the grace from you guys to say, yeah, we're on, we're on board with where you're going this week. So uh, why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. And we thank you, Lord, that our hearts are prepared because we've been in worship. And even this right now is a sense of worship. So we open ourselves up to you. Lord, we, we want to be spoken to in the mind, but Lord, we want to be shifted in the heart. We want to see that Jesus would be glorified in this moment and that we would be able to put off every past hurt and every past shame in our life. So we thank you, Lord. We sit under your ministry now. 
in Jesus' name. <clears throat> so we're talking about the painful things of life. Why would we do this at Christmas time? Isn't it supposed to be a joyous time? We're supposed to be having a celebration, but here we are in the middle of church. We're talking about the painful things in life. Last week we spoke about offenses. This week we're talking about the things of shame. Shame. What a topic to preach in two weeks before Christmas, talking about shame. The shameful things, the painful things. Next week's going to be one of my best weeks. Uh, one of the best weeks, I think, we're going to be looking at overcoming labels. Many of us have received labels in our life uh, from, from, you know, innocent people at times. Our parents have said something over us and it's been a label over our life and we've carried that. Teachers have said something to us. The police have said something. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> They've said something to us and we've carried that kind of thing. You know, but uh, today... We want to look at this, this area of shame, okay? We want to look at this area because shame is that very thing that can hurt us deeply and scar us for life. So it's going to get a little bit heavy, but that's all right. Because when things get a little bit heavy, Jesus comes in with his yoke, which is easy, and his burden, which is light. So we're going to do this, but we need to look at this deeply painful emotion that is called shame. So what's interesting about this time of year and Christmas is that a lot of people, they're battling with shame and they don't even know it. Uh, this kind of season, it, it heightens, and Pastor Rod put, shared about this last week, it's, it heightens us emotionally. And sometimes we often crack at those who mean the most to us. Yeah, We'll explode at our spouse or we'll yell at the kids. Sorry, kids, I've been pretty horrible this week. Um, or we'll... We'll, we'll, we'll be sitting around Christmas dinner and something will happen and, and mum will lose it or something, you know. Like, it's just the stress of the whole thing. So I'd like to um, talk to you about what shame is. And for me, uh, I really like this definition of shame. And this is uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel's definition. It's a soul-crushing, identity-warping emotion. I'll say that again for you. Shame is a soul-crushing, identity-warping emotion. When shame takes over your life, that's who you are. Your soul is crushed. Your identity is warped into this thing. It, it, can I just say, like a monstrous thing at times. We don't even often realize that that's what shame does. In fact, I bet most of you, if you think back into your childhood, you could probably remember some of the first times when you did something and experienced for the first time the feeling of shame. I can remember... The very first time I really, really felt shame. I'm going to be a little bit personal but open today with you because I think the best way to deal with emotions is to show you that, that us as ministries are open to the fact that we're only human as well. And we battle with these things just as much as everyone else. So I want to be open and honest with you today. So I'm trusting you with some of the deepest secrets of my life. But you see, my story... Um, the one that actually flashed back to me, I didn't really want to talk about. And then I said, okay, God, I don't want to talk about that one. And then another memory came back. You know, when you actually sit and try and sit in emotions, you can feel the memories. And, and uh, it's been a pretty shameful week for me, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, this emotion came back and, and it was actually a story. I was only about, I can't even remember. Mum is here and she could correct me later on. But I was only about seven, eight, oh, at the oldest, nine years old. I, I, I reckon I was around eight years old. And mum and dad went out. I don't even know why they went out. I have no idea, I have no recollection why they went out. But I have a recollection, not even of the night. But I do remember that we had uh, dad's parents um, looking after us for this night. They came up looking after us four boys. And you know, when there's four boys in the house, it can be a little bit ratty. Especially when they're four ran boys. Okay. <laughs> and my older brother, four years older than me, he knew what to do. My two younger brothers are twins. They knew how to fight with me or start trouble with me. And all the three of us would gang up on my older brother, Michael, and he'd just lose it because it was fun sometimes. But I remember, the only thing I remember completely about the night was actually being woken up to dad's belt. That's what I remember about the night. Because we had must have been so horrible that we had embarrassed my dad so much in front of his parents that he had to correct us. Okay, He must have been so ashamed of us that he had to deal with it right then and there once they left. 
And you know when you're a young boy and you know that you've done something wrong and your dad is so angry because he is embarrassed, you know it and you feel that scar right there. I was ashamed of my behavior that night. I wake up that day and I was sheepish and, and we stayed away from dad. And, you know, you really feel like you want to go and say sorry, but you're just still feeling the shame of the fact that you embarrassed someone so close to you. <clears throat> this is how I process that. Um, oh, my grandparents are never going to look after us again. I was, I was so embarrassing that they don't want to come and see us. And in fact, it was reinforced because they never did come to our house to babysit us again. Yeah. Um, a little while later, when I was about 10 years old, my grandfather died. My gramsci, he died. <clears throat> and uh, I never got to put that right in myself. I felt shame. <clears throat> it's that internalized emotion. Does that make sense? You know, I never got to show my grandfather that I was a good boy. Never got to show him that I was a hard worker. All the things that I see in my dad, I never got to show him. So I worked hard to show my dad those things. See how it works? Shame becomes the motivator for what you do. So if you're taking notes, there's distinct differences between guilt and shame. Okay, Let's have a look at this. Guilt, if it's going to work is the idea that I did bad. Now, guilt's a good thing. It's good for you to know that you've done something bad, yeah? You go and steal $500 from someone, it's really good that you know you've done something bad. But shame is the other side of this coin. Shame is the idea that because of what I did, I am bad. There's a big difference, isn't there? I did bad is the feeling of guilt. And when we process that, we realize there's forgiveness, We can go to our father or our mother or whoever we've stolen that money from or whoever we've done something bad to. We can go to them and we can say, I'm sorry. And generally, if they're good people, forgiveness flows. But but shame comes in when we actually take what we've done and we internalize it to the point of saying, I am bad. Because I hurt my father so much, I am now a bad person person does that make sense so the shame comes on you You feel that and it's very very powerful so guilt is the idea that i did something bad shame is the idea that i am bad Hmm. we connect the what with the who what we did with who we are it's the same thing as saying this is actually an english problem by the way and we reinforce it with our english just a little side note, uh, we say, I am hungry, instead of saying, I hunger. Yeah? It's, it's an English thing. So we actually take it upon us because of our language reinforces these emotions. Instead of saying, I hunger, which is what the most of the world would actually say in their own language, we say, I am hungry. Yeah? So in the sense, shame does the same thing. I am a bad person. I did bad, therefore I am bad. He rejected me, therefore I am nothing. After what I did, I am worthless. Hear how it works? That's the emotions and how our minds take on. You know, just fast forward a couple of years later, I was about 12 years old, and like I said, I'm going to do a few personal stories, and I know I'm going to watch the time, it's okay. A few personal stories. But when I was about 12 years old, I went to my father's workplace, and who knows, he will pack an oranges. And I was learning how to work. And from 12 years old, I knew how to work because, like I said, I wanted to prove that I could work. Yeah, because I'm, I'm operating from this place of shame. I'm operating to, sh- to prove that I'm actually a good person. But deep down, I'm feeling that I'm a bad person. To reinforce that, the enemy gets on your shoulder and he says, why not try this? So I walk into the smoko room one day and I open the drawer and guess what I find? Some worker had stashed some pornographic material in there. And as a 12-year-old boy, you're sort of a, an influential kind of thing. And I'm an inquisitive kind of person. So I'm going to pull those magazines out and do what any 12-year-old boy is going to do. You're going to look at those magazines. And aha, uh-huh, this is nice. Aha, uh-huh, I want this. So I took three of those magazines and went and hid them where no one would ever find them. What for? For the purpose of studying them for later. 
That's what 12-year-old boys do, right? I'm going to study that and, uh, you know, I'm going to study Miss February or something like that and make sure I know all about her. Now, that, that's, that's a really poor thing to do, but it's a shameful thing to do. Because what happened was the only person I really told was two of my cousins so that they can go and do the same thing. I was a great evangelist for pornography. <laughs> right? A 12-year-old. Woohoo! I went home. Mum's prepping dinner. And she goes, hey, son, what have you been up to? You know what I heard? What have you been doing? And straight away, she knows! <laughs> and you get that adrenaline rush. And then the hangover of shame takes on. My mum knows I'm just a dirty, wretched human being. Yeah? So you've got this shame-based thinking saying that you're a bad person and now you're a dirty person. Why not continue to wallow around in this place of shame? And pornography had its addiction on me for years and years and years. Again, one more story. Mum knows. Mum knows. But yet, three or four years later, I was about 15 years old and Sarah was here. And uh, we were ministering. Or not, we weren't ministering, but we were part of what we would call the youth team. And the youth group that I was a part of at that time, they had like a president and a, and a um, I don't know, deputy. And they had, a, they had treasury and things like that. And you know, this year, I think I was in year nine at school and, I, and I, I put my hand up to take on the treasurer's role. Yeah? So I took on the treasurer's role. But you know when you're kids, you just don't do things right? Like you're learning. These guys had very bad systems in place. Like no controls. Hence probably why I'm a little bit strong on some of our financial controls today. Right? Uh, Jan can attest to that. <laughs> uh, this is, this is the scar moment for me, okay? This is the part that may, left an impression on me. 15 years old, I'm taking the money each week. I think we were taking a dollar that, that time. And, um, you know, inflation hasn't really grown much with our youth group with only two. It's a different youth group. We only charge $2 on a Friday night. But, you know, inflation needs to probably go up, I reckon, eh? <laughs> but that's another thing. We're sitting there and... Uh, and we're going through and I count the money and I'm doing all the right things and I'm recording it in a book as much as a 15-year-old can. But this is the system we had in place. You take the money home, you guard it with your life and you bring it back next week. What's a 15-year-old going to do when he's got $65 sitting in his wardrobe? Because I didn't have a safe, I put $65 in my wardrobe so no one would find it except for me. Yeah? You know what I did? I went and bought lunch at high school. Because, you know, you're not going to miss a dollar, are you? I've been putting my money in faithfully every week. I might as well get something back from this. So I take another dollar. I, take, I think I took about 35 of that $65. I've got some of the jaws dropping over here. Like I'm 15 years old and now I'm a thief. Yeah? I either cover up my shame with lies. There was no 30, $65. I only have $35 and I adjust the books. Or... I come out and I'm honest and I tell the minister what I've done. You know what I did? I lied and I covered it up. And for years that plagued me, that dogged me. So here I am. I'm a bad person. I'm a dirty, filthy, rotten-minded person. And now I'm a thief. So I'm a bad person, I'm an adulterer at heart, if you want to go along what Jesus says, and I'm a thief. Where am I going? <sighs> Canberra. Hmm. Another story, we'll go there later, right? Okay, anyway, you get my point. There may be those of you today uh, that have got some kind of secret like mine. And I'm airing some of my dirty laundry with you, right? Um, you're carrying a secret of addiction and you don't want anyone to know. Internally, because of that, you would embrace the thought that I am a horrible person. Maybe you told a lie about somebody and you're carrying that lie and you're bad because of what you did. Perhaps you're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at. You're a Jesus follower and yet you're engaged in a secret world of lust. 
And because of that, you feel that you're a very bad person. Maybe it's your past. You've got a sexual past and you're like, you know, man, if only my church would know. If only Steve would know my sexual past. If only he knew what I did, then he wouldn't even let me serve on the usher team, let alone be at church. But that's not what this place is about. That's not what Jesus is about, is it? It's not what it's about. And that shame, it grips you and it keeps you in a prison cell that was never meant to be yours. You're a good person or you're not a good person does not lie with you and does not come from a position of shame. I am not a good person. Before long, you put words on it and you might say things like this. You might identify with words like this. I am defective. I am damaged. I am broken. I am flawed. I am dirty. I am ugly. I am impure. I am disgusting. I am unlovable. I am weak. I'm just pitiful. I am insignificant. I am worthless. I am unwanted. And you know where those thoughts take you. You know where those thoughts take you. They take you into a spiral of depression. And a lot of people are depressed because of the shame that they carry. Shame is a soul-crushing, identity-warping emotion. It's not going to come up. There it is. A soul-crushing, identity-warping emotion. So I told you it was going to be a little bit heavy. And I want to allow the heaviness to be remain a little bit longer. I remember a few years ago taking the Theophostic Prayer Training, and um, it's now called Transformation Prayer, and there's still a few people here that um, still utilize that training today, and, and we're going to look at that again next year. But in that time, um, it... it <coughs> It helped me unpack some of these things, but it also helped me um, investigate some of the things that I was inquisitive about. And I was actually really inquisitive about psychology and those sorts of things. And I knew, but I looked into some things as much as I needed to because I knew if I continued down that path that it would actually detract me from where God had called me to be as a minister. So it's kind of one of those pathways in life. You're at a T-section and you're like, if I go down this path, I'm going to continue following. I'm going to become a counselor. I'm going to become a psychologist. I'm going to help people that way. But I decided that I needed to follow the call of God, which was to continue becoming a pastor, continue in the ministry role that I was in. But within that, we learned about shame-based thinking, not just particularly in that program, but in the thinking and my, my study and my research, I learned a little bit about shame-based thinking, and I touched up a little bit on it again t- this week. It's supposed to be automatic, sorry. This is what I learned. When your identity is colored by something that you did and you start to embrace a negative view of who you are, you adopt what they call a shame-based mindset. When your identity is colored by something that you did and you start to embrace a negative view of who you are, you adopt what they call a shame-based mindset. There's three big areas around shame that I want to highlight really quickly. And they, that people spend years on this and I'm no expert. I can tell you that straight away. But number one, we are vulnerable. When you're a shame-based mindset, you're vulnerable to perfectionism. Yeah, I can identify with all three of these. When you're vulnerable, you, you when you when you're ashamed. Sorry, let me say that again. When you are driven by shame-based thinking, when you're clouded, you're, you're clouded by that, you become vulnerable to f- perfectionism. We attempt to silence our shame with error-free performance and find it difficult to admit failure. Who finds it difficult to admit that they that they failed? Like. Failure is a bad word to many people, but when we embrace failure as a learning experience, it's a very different thing. Yeah? And we could do the, the we could we could try the greatest feats for God and fail, but he will never look at you as a failure 
He will always look at you and say, well done. You had a go. You risked everything. You showed faith, you see. But when, we, when we're driven by shame, when we're driven by this shame-based thinking, we become vulnerable to this place of perfectionism and any kind of failure is not good enough and some of us we hear the words of our father as he's smacking us over the back of the head and this never happened to me so you don't have to report my dad but i'm just using it as an example all right but as he's smacking you over the back of the head and he's telling you how much you disappointed him and you feel like you're a failure some of it comes from that place and the shame comes upon you and you can't afford to fail fail so everything's got to be perfect And when it's not perfect, your world's turned upside down. Yeah? The second one is this. We are critical of ourselves, which in turn makes us critical of others. Okay? We see our faults mirrored in others. We become judgmental of others and are perceived as self-righteous or arrogant. We become judgmental of them and then they perceive us as arrogant or self-righteous and that's why you may observe sometimes when you find someone who is an angrily critical person that they are this and are that and are this and you've done that and ah 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 and it's, it's just this deflection of criticalness because they can't afford to look at themselves and be critical on themselves so they could because it brings too much shame on their life and no one likes feeling shame And the criticalness, it's the same principle that Jesus used, okay? Jesus used this principle. Don't worry about the speck in her eye when there's a plank in your own. There's a big log sitting there in your eye you need to deal with, but you're worried about the the speck that's there on that guy and that guy and that girl and that one. But you got the biggest one. The reason you see it is because you got it in your life. And criticalness can come from that place. Because it's in you, you've got to deal with it. And it often comes from this shame-based thing. And I can be like that, trust me. And the third one is this. We are self-defeating in our thoughts as a form of protection and escape. We focus on the worst possible outcome. Who's those doomsday people? Everything's going to be bad. Why? Because you feel bad. Yeah? My day is going to be horrible because I feel horrible. No one likes me because I hate myself. This bad thing is going to happen and they're never going to like me because of it. What if I make, mark, mark up what I'm going to say? What if I mess up? What if I spill my drink? And I'm never going to amount to anything because of the way I'm perceived. This self-defeating talk, this attitude of saying no one's going to like me because I don't like myself. We sabotage every opportunity and we sabotage our relationships because of it. You're not going to like me anyway, so I'm going to keep you right there. Right there. You can't come any closer than there. That's enough. That don't come any closer. I'm going to turn my back on you now because I don't like myself, so why would I let you like me? That self-defeating talk. That's why Christmas can go so crazy. When you think about shame, when you think about these three things that you're looking up there on the screen, no wonder we lose it at Christmas time with those we love the most. You'd be sitting at the table and mum absolutely loses it at you for no reason. Mum's got the pressure of having to cook the perfect meal, having to cook for the in-laws, having to cook for this, having to cook for that. Everything needs to be perfect. You know, and I get pictures right now of Mr. Bean and his turkey. Yeah, right? The turkey's got to be great. The roast pork, it's got to be crisp. The, the crackling bit, eh? It's got to be good. <laughs> you know, and mum's losing it in the kitchen. Mum's losing it at the table at you, and all you've done is pick up a chicken and eat it. You know? What have you done? Dad, this, this is not my family. Again, I'm using an example, all right? They're going to think I'm, I hate my parents. I don't. I love them. And dad never did this. I've got to qualify this. But dad, he goes off and he'll get drunk again. Right? You think about it. Mum's going off in the kitchen. Dad doesn't want to deal with that. He's going to go and drink. Nope, not going to deal with that. 
And you sit there and go, there he goes again. There goes our Christmas. Dad's on this and dad's on that. Mum's losing it in the kitchen. You think about it. And then the in-laws walk in. The in-laws, they walk in. And they start picking you on how you look after your kids. My kid's bedroom is never that dirty. I'd give him a whooping if he talked to me like that. And you think about it. And you're like, why are they on me about my kids? My kids are my kids. And let me bring them up. How I... And you start to get defensive. Yeah. But what are they projecting? They're actually projecting their failures upon you. Because they had ideals for their kids that they never followed through with. And they see that their child is just as messed up as you. And they're trying to fix it through you because they couldn't do it in their life. You see, shame, it grips us as a family and you know, we've got to deal with it. And you're like, ah, oh, wow. Today, it is my deepest prayer. And I've got about 10 minutes left, I reckon. No, I actually got more because Ali had a talk today. Yes. I'm not even watching the clock now. (laughs) Anyway, today it is my deepest prayer that our God would do a healing work and set so many people free of the dark and devastating emotion of shame. My prayer for you comes out of Isaiah 54 verse 4. And this is what God was speaking to Israel and I believe this will be God speaking to many of you today. Let's if I can get it to come up. Isaiah 54 verse 4. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. What a great word. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Fear not. Why is it that if you are a Jesus follower, why is it that you can be completely free from the shame of the past? 1 John 1.9 gives it to us. I left a little one out there. Sorry, guys. It says this, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why is it that I could stand here with you today and talk to you about my past and the horrible things that I did? And even though emotionally I got sad about my grandfather, it's just because I miss him, yeah? Even though there was that little hurt there, I'm free from that because Jesus has set me free. Because He has set me free and He's cleansed me of all my unrighteousness. Every time I picked up that magazine, He's cleansed me of that. Every time I said out of my shame-based thing, I'm going to work my butt off today to prove these people wrong. And I hurt my family by staying out 14, 15, 16 hours a day, working my butt off to show how good of a father and a provider I was. Every time I hurt my son because I did that, God has forgiven me for that. He set me free. He who the son sets free is free indeed. You see, Jesus sets us free. Here is the good news. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're not just cleansed. You're completely new. The old is gone. The new has come. God separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. They will not ever meet. East and west will always go from one way to the other and your sins will never meet you again. He does not hold them against you anymore. Someone needs to hear that this morning. God does not hold your sin against you. You're not going to stand before Him on that day. 
You're not going to stand there with him. And he's going to say, well, Steve, you looked at page 36 of that magazine. You looked at it for way too long. He's not doing that. He doesn't even remember that I've done that. He chooses to forget. That's why he's such a good father. And I go and I, and I see something again because it flashes on the internet. And I go, oh, yuck. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I'm ashamed. And I've done nothing wrong. And he says, you've done nothing, Steve. But because of my shame, I start to spiral down in the guilt. Gets me. But you see, he set me free from that. He doesn't remember those things anymore. And yet I have to keep reminding him of them. Who am I to remind God of my own sin? Remind him that I'm a disgusting person. There is thou, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our good God forgives you and remembers your sin no more. Either God is that good and he's that big and he's that loving and he's that merciful and he's that kind and he's that gracious or he's not. And if he's not, that's not a God I want to serve. That's not what God I want to have intimacy with. That's not a God that I want to love and adore for the rest of my life. But you see, Jesus reveals to us that our God is merciful. He is gracious and forgiving and kind. And the Bible story, I want to just highlight this from today. Because this was a group of people who were exactly the same. You see, in Egypt, we see the Israelites. 430 years, they were in captivity as slaves. That's a long time. 430 years, that's like my pappy, my grandpappy, my great-grandpappy, my my great-great-grandpappy and all the pappies before him, if I start thinking about it. That's a long time, sin, bondage, whatever you want to call it, to be there and be present. And then one day, this prince of Egypt, who happens to be one of them, Moses rocks in because he had an encounter with God. And he walks in and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. That's the word of God for you today. Let my people go. And you know the story. You know what happened. You know through 10 different plagues, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and he used that to bring the the people from a slave mentality into a free mentality. You could study that out if you want. But yet as they walked out in freedom and they plundered the Egyptians with them, like the Egyptians would go, go, hurry up, get out of here. Your God is bigger than ours and he's killing us. They're giving them as much gold and as silver and stuff as they could. Get out of here. They never recovered from that Egypt, by the way. And you see, God sets up this nation. But the problem is, and Rodney loves this one because he did a whole study on it years ago. And I, th- I would remind you to grab this study. If Most of those people... God led out of Egypt, but they never let God take Egypt out of their heart. Most of those people, God gave them favor in such a way, and yet they were still so ground in their slavery. They could not get out of the mindset of slaves. Even though they were free from slavery, They couldn't get slavery out of them. Though they were out of Egypt, I'll put it in this way so you get it. They couldn't get Egypt out of them. And you hear them whinging, oh, just for the leeks and the garlic of Egypt. Oh, my taste buds would be really good right now for them to have some leek. Mm. You know, we would say, in another words, if you want to put it in today, it'd be so nice if I had some chocolate coated licorice about now. Mm. Yeah, that would really get my taste buds going. But you see, we've got to overcome these things. This is the problem that so many of us have. We may intellectually know that Jesus has forgiven my sins. That Jesus has made me new. 
But in our hearts, because of our identity is not grounded in Christ, we still are polluted by the past shame that holds us bondage and keeps us from living the life that God really wants us to live. We might know in our minds that Jesus has paid the price, but in our hearts, because we believe we are bad people, we keep speaking that we're bad people in ourselves. And God wants to do a transformation in you today. The bottom line is this. You are still believing that you are something that God says you are not. If you're living in a shame-based mindset, if you're working out of that place of guilt and shame, then you're believing that you are something that God says you are not. Shame-based thinking warps your identity. We need to be renewed. So let me get real a little bit more now. Let me talk to how this has played out in my own life. Because I've talked a little bit about my past, but I want to play this out so you can understand how it affects us so that you know, so that you clear what happens when shame-based thinking comes on. To be real honest, the stuff I talked about before, I'm not ashamed of. We've worked it out. I've talked it out. I've been forgiven. I've even been forgiven by my wife and things like that. Like fair dinkum, I'm good with God. Right? You see that? That's how we do it. We deal with that. But beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's still stuff that affects me at times. And, uh, and that's because we're human. And we sometimes we realize that the old still gets a hold and we're still caught in the world, but we've got to crucify the flesh so that we can live unto God. Right? It's a mindset. It's a decision to make. But you know, sometimes we still get this distorted view about yourself and, and pressure is what puts it on. Christmas is what puts that on. Mum loses it, dad loses I've talked about that. But if, I, if I've got this distorted thing, I want to unpack this a little bit to help you understand it. Remember I said that uh, I'm so bad? Remember that very first shame time I was talking about, I'm so bad? This is what I believe. This is the core of what actually creeps up and hits me every now and then. That I'm not enough. That I'll never be enough. I can't be enough. And uh, two years ago when my wife was laying in hospital, I couldn't be anything. <laughs> I couldn't be enough. I couldn't help her. And it just brought all that up. And Twelve months ago at the anniversary, it brought all that up. This week, the anniversary... Sarah, uh, Peyton's two years old tomorrow. It brought all that up. The emotion of that, that I'm not enough. That I can't ever be enough. So what do I do? If I'm operating in a shame-based mindset, I work. And I work late nights. Four nights this week, I came home after 10 o'clock. You see? That's how it works. Because you get so emotional... You just can't deal with it. And you push people away. And you work. This is how I do it. This is how I work. I work. I work. And I, and I was trying to deal with it. And I was trying not to work. And if you th- saw me some of those afternoons, I was just walking around aimlessly going, I, I need to do that. But I can't. I need to do that. And then I just wander around aimlessly. This is just me being honest with you guys. Work helped me to say, oh, I, I, I show you that I'm good enough. Work showed me that, that my answer was, I can be good enough. The more I worked, the more responsible I felt. So the more I worked. Neglecting my role as a son, firstly. Secondly, my role as a husband. And then my role as a, as a father. So to cover my shame, guess what I did? I worked. I was a workaholic. I worked. I worked. I worked. I worked. I felt inadequate. And when I felt inadequate, I caved into the shame. I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm never going to be enough. So I might as well cave into the temptation as well. See how that works? See how the enemy just likes to give you a little prick. And you fall into this place. And you fall into that place of guilt again. 
shame comes back on you. I became vulnerable to perfectionism. Then I was critical of others' attempts. uh, And then I'd bash myself up about being not good enough. With my self-defeating thoughts. I used all three areas of shame-based thinking without even knowing it. And this week I sensed that the enemy tried to get the upper hand again, like I said, in one area. But the other area, he tried to get this... um, he tried to get me to feel like I wasn't enough, is that, of course, my kids got sick this week. Here my kids were at home sick, my wife dealing with sick kids, and guess where I was? <laughs> I was at work. Yeah? And because I was at work, guess what I started to do? This is what shame-based thinking does. I started to despise those who I was actually working for. The church. See how it works? Those who are the closest and mean the most to you, you start to push away. That's what shame-based thinking does. Do you know what else triggers me? And I'm just being open and honest. I can't be enough, right? That's my core issue. So when I've got to say, no, sorry, I can't come to that. No, I can't be there for you right now. I know it's a really hard time. But there are a hundred other people having a hard time, like just an example. You want to do what? Yeah, that sounds great. Sorry, I can't do that with you. Yeah? What am I doing? I'm saying no because I have to be healthy and now they're healthy no's, but I'm doing it and therefore I'm letting people down and then I step back and I go, wow, I'm not a real good pastor, am I? (laughs) Yeah. Wow, I'm not good enough. I can't fit into that place. And then I get into work mode. Okay, I'll show them how good a pastor I am. Bam! And I'll just overdrive. I just start running around after people. I start doing things for people. And all of a sudden, I'm working myself into a grave. Yeah? This is how we work and operate as people. But I'm not doing that to say boo-hoo, Steve, rah-rah. I'm doing that to show you that we individually, we've got some things that we're dealing with. And you never, never know what that other person's dealing with. And that's where offense slips in. That's what Rod was talking about last night. Like, you never knew any of this that I was dealing with this, nor should you. But I'm only doing it because I want you to understand that shame is a driver for how we work. Pastor, so as your pastor, I want to help you all. Yeah? But as the body of Christ, we need to help each other. You can't put your faith into one man or a team of men and women, you have to put your faith in Jesus and trust the body around you that he's put you in. And I really appreciate what Ali said today when she was talking about family. Hmm? Yeah, Those around her got around her and supported her and her family. The only way to heal from shame, I'm going to move up, move along. The only way to heal from shame is to move the... Focus from what I am not to who Christ is. The only way I'll ever overcome my works-based theology, the only way I'll ever overcome my shame, the only way I as a pastor will ever deal with the, the, the me saying no and feeling internally that I've let someone down and looking at Jesus saying I've done the right thing is because I've looked at Jesus and I've done what is most important for who I am. In this church. And when you do the same thing, when you do what is most important for who you are in the body of Christ, you can look to Jesus and you can look at him and say, Wow, I'm actually walking in freedom now. But you've got to overcome the emotional turmoil. You've got to actually say, Well, guess what? That's not a part of me anymore. I'm leaving that where it belongs at the foot of the cross. And I'm looking at Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And I'm overcoming that which I'm going through. The only way you can is to look at who Jesus Christ is. You could write on a piece of paper, I am not, and put a line there. And then you can write on the, underneath it, because of Christ, I am. It would be a good exercise for you this week. For example, I am not bad. I'm not going to focus on that because of Christ, I am forgiven. I'm not sick. Because of Christ, I'm healed. 
I'm not broken because of Christ. I am a new creation. The old is gone and I've become new. I'm not disgusting because, I, because of Christ. I am loved. Whatever it is that you're dealing with right now, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has just said, this is your shame-based thinking. Whatever that is right now, write that on that piece of paper. Because of Christ, He is the answer. I would say it this way. I'm not just inadequate. Because of Christ in me, Christ is more than enough. In my weakness, He is strong. Yeah? I would say it this way, another way, but I won't now. Sorry. We need to remove the focus off of ourselves and onto Christ. And that's when we start to find healing. Remind us of this scripture right now. Joshua 5, 9. This is for you today. I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. number of years after God delivered the Egyptians out of Egypt. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness, Joshua comes along. Moses is dead, Joshua's there. And God says, I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Today, I've rolled it away. Today at this moment, there is no more shame. Someone may have said to you, shame on you, shame on you. And I really hope that none of you ever use that phrase. To speak shame onto someone is a horrible and hurtful thing. But maybe you felt that shame and God says today to you, I have rolled it away. I have rolled it off you. Shame was on you. Now because of God, shame is off you. Shame was on you. Now because of God, shame is off you. Shame was on you. But today, because of Jesus, shame is off you. Your enemy may say to you that you're no good. You can reply to him straight away, but in God I'm forgiven. Or you are pathetic. No, no, because of Jesus, his power is all I need. Yep. At any time the enemy says shame on you, reply no, God has rolled it off me. Shake it off, as my wife said to me this week. Let it go, as Rod said last week. By God's power, it is no longer on me. Shame is no longer there. It is dealt with, and we must see God's power in this. In concluding today, let me say, take the focus off of you and place it where it belongs, squarely on Jesus. Fear not. Isaiah 54 and verse 4. Fear not. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. Can I ask you to come up, Tash, please? You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. I'll say it one more time. Fear not. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Fear not. Your enemy tells you that you will never be something. You're never going to amount to anything. If you only knew, if they only knew what you have been doing, I wouldn't, they wouldn't love you. That you'll never make a difference for God. But God says, fear not. Because of God's power. Fear not because of God's grace. Fear not because of what Jesus did for you. You will no longer live in shame. Do not be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. I want to invite you to stand to your feet right now. Some of you this morning, I might just think Steve's just on another rant. Others of you might be giving me the grace that I so need. But some of you right now, the Holy Spirit is just touching your heart. Some of you right now, you've identified that point in your life where you took shame upon your life and you just right now, you want to give it to Jesus. I just want to invite you, if that's you, to raise your hands this morning and close your eyes and 
Raise your face to Him. Don't, don't bow your head. It's not a shameful thing. Raise your face to Jesus right now. You see, the light of the Lord is upon you right here in this moment. The anointing of His Holy Spirit is just setting you free right now. If you say like, Steve, I'm kind of like you. If I look at my life, I've got some shame-based thinking that can pollute the way that I live, that can warp my identity. I want healing of God. Just cry out to Him. I want to take the focus off of me and I want to put my focus on Jesus. My identity is not what it should be because I have shame-based mindset right now. I want Jesus to help heal me. Let's lift our hands and our hearts to Him. God, today I pray. I pray especially for those who are even crying right now, who are weeping before You, Lord God. For those who are grateful in their heart. For those, Jesus, who are crying unto You and saying thank You for Your grace. Those who are breaking down on the inside, Lord. God, we thank You for Your grace right now that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank You, Jesus, that as we confess our sins, You are joyful, You are faithful, You are just, that You are able to forgive us of our sins today. God, and You are faithful to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Father, may we not just embrace this in our minds, but may we believe it in our hearts. We are not what we did in the past. God, help us to be who you say we are. God, I pray especially for those right now who are in deep bondage to a shame-based mindset that you would give us a very powerful word to place in those blanks. That I am not a bad person, but because of Jesus Christ, I am free. Because of Christ, I am healed. Because of Christ, I am forgiven. Because of Christ, I am completely new. God, because of Jesus, I am changed. Empower us, Lord, right now to take the focus off of ourselves. Remind us in those moments when we take up our own lives again and remind us that we have to bury that to take up our cross and to live as Christ would live to choose to put criticalness and to choose to put perfectionism behind us set us free Lord as I'm praying and as you're praying right now if you've never heard about the freedom that comes from Jesus Christ and today you're feeling something that you've never ever felt before I want to give you the invitation to say yes to Jesus. You see, 2,000 years ago, God sent His only Son into the world because He knew that humanity was riddled with shame. He knew that humanity was riddled with offense. And He knew that sin had such a hold on us that we could never, ever, ever be free from that but by Him. Jesus came into the world as a baby and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. But He grew into a man and at 30 years of age, He ministered to those and thousands upon thousands were healed. Many followers of Him were set free. God walking amongst us. And then He submitted Himself to the torturers. Because the penalty of sin is death. Jesus in our place, a righteous man, a perfect man, a holy man, gave himself upon a cross, tortured, killed for your very sin. As a sacrifice, as a a lamb of God to wash away the sins of the world. Because of his righteousness, the Bible declares, and hundreds and thousands of witnesses since have said, that He rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, He conquered sin and death forevermore. 
Having risen from the dead, Jesus says it has no power. It has no victory. It has no sting. And Jesus has paid that price for you today. The Bible says that if you would believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth the very same thing that you will be saved. You believe in your heart that He is the Savior, the Healer, the Lord of Lords, God incarnate. And you confess with your mouth that He is Lord, you will be saved. Right now in this place, if you would like to do that, would you raise your hands? Say, I need Jesus today. I need to be set free of my past. I need to be set free of my sin. I need Jesus today. I need Jesus today. I need Jesus today. Thank you, Lord. Jesus sits right at the right hand of the Father now interceding for you. He's saying, I need Jesus today. I need to be set free from shame. I need to be set free from guilt. I need to be set free from the power of sin and live for God right now. Would you pray this prayer with me? Maybe the whole church. Heavenly Father, today I give my life completely to you. Jesus, I ask you, save me. Forgive me and make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you and live for you and show your love for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you now. Take my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have prayed that for the first time today, earnestly in your heart, then I want to talk to you at the end of the service today. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Thanks, Pastor Rodney.